Welcome to The Living Lab, a weekly podcast exploring new and old thinking on living a better, more purposeful life. I'm Ben Lankin, podcasting from my hotel room in the beautiful city of Copenhagen. And with me is my good friend Mel Pryor from her lounge room in the mountains of Denver, Colorado. Mel, we're here. Hi, Ben. We made it. (laughs) That we did. Great to see you. It's nice to have an opportunity to connect each week and talk through the things that go through our mind. Great to be talking to you from the other side of the world. Today we have the last few days of sunshine before winter descends upon us. Um, The squirrels are out, which are the highlight of mountain living in Colorado. And it it is a sunny, beautiful day. What's the weather like where you are today? Yeah, you can tell in Copenhagen that the the winter is just around the corner. It's uh, starting to get cold and and dark and dark. Hey, I was um, thinking, you know, we're talking, you're in Denver, Colorado. I thought I'd Google some fun facts about Denver, Colorado. Tell me, do you know this? What is the most famous invention that's come from Denver, Colorado? Any ideas? Ooh, ooh, something around gold mining, maybe? No. Energy, energy production. No. No? Um, all right, I'm fresh out here. Educate me. It's the cheeseburger. The really? The cheeseburger was invented in Denver, Colorado, yeah, by the Humpty Dumpty drive through I'm not sure whether you've, uh, you're a frequenter of the Humpty Dumpty drive through but... Not yet. Uh, 1939 was the um, invention of the cheeseburger from Denver, Colorado. So there you go. <laughs> that gives me a challenge for the week to go and track down where the original cheeseburger was born. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, we're not here to talk about cheeseburgers. This is the Living <laughs> Lab podcast. Um, we've been talking about this, Mel, for ages and ages. We're finally here. We've decided we're just going to get on and do it. Who yes. cares about preparing? Let's just get on and start having the conversation. Uh, what's this project about for you? Why is, uh, why is this something you wanted to do? And what's your vision for what we're going to be doing on the podcast moving forward? So we have been kicking this idea around for a while now. I think it was born in New York City when we had a few days to explore together in July 2016 and now come around to 2017 and it was the airport in Helsinki where it all came together. What a place. So what this is, why I want to do this and why I think this is a good way to spend my time is there's a lot a lot of reading, a lot of exploration, a lot of different ideas that we come across in our day-to-day lives through work, through different conferences and seminars we go to, through different people we meet and, and talk to. And there's so much information out there. And to have this time to connect and explore what those ideas are and how what works for us in our life can, and what, what it's like when we apply them. And if others get value from that, that's fantastic. Um, but really to ex- sit down and explore these things with such a great mind like yours uh, is really just something that makes me look forward to each day. So I really don't have any expectations where, around where this goes. I think it'll just be a super fun thing to do um, and a really good next step for a lot of the things I've read and experienced to yeah, really see it's... what they're like. What, what about for you? Yeah, well, I think for me, the whole the whole idea of the living lab lends itself to this word experiment, right? And yeah. it's, a, it's a word over the last few years I've really introduced into my vocabulary a lot more because as soon as you call something an experiment, all of a sudden it makes it okay to fail, right? Yes. So, you know, if we, if we launch this podcast, we're weeks of <laughs> in and nobody's listening, right? We can say it was an experiment <laughs> and we learn, right? 
that's something over the last couple of years, particularly at work, I've been really using this term experiment to kind of say, hey, we're going to give this a try. It may, it may not work. And it kind of just takes the pressure off yourself and, and the people involved as well. So it's, ah, it's okay. We're just going to see if this works. So for me, that's uh, where I'm starting from. I'm starting from a point of exploration and experimentation. And let's just, uh, let's just see how this goes. But yeah, look, I think, you know, like you, we, we've, we've uh, had a friendship of some very, very great conversations over many, many, many years. And I think really this is just an opportunity for us to start to record some of those conversations in the hope that perhaps they'll add a little bit of value for, for other people. And, and hopefully it's not just us nattering, nattering along like we normally do, but extract some nuggets and some value along the way um, for, for people who might be listening. And I think as well, an opportunity just to bring some people into the conversation who have some cool stuff to say as well and I think um, you know we've already got some ideas of some some guests that can join us and talk about stuff that they're passionate about or they know a heap about um, because I think one of the key things is we're certainly not the experts on anything where we're we're, uh, we're students on a journey right uh, and, the, and it's all about sort of trying to distill what we learn and bring great minds and interesting conversations together to you know a bit of a melting pot and get people thinking so from my perspective, that's kind of uh, that's kind of where I'm going. But perhaps we should start with a bit of an introduction of who we are um, to begin with. So, Mel, a little bit of an overview of kind of what you've been doing over the last few years. Why the hell you're in Denver, Colorado, <laughs> and, um, and maybe kick us off there. So, what do we do when we're not sitting on the learning lab thinking <laughs> thinking about uh, what we can uh, experiment with? So, I've come to. Denver, Colorado, and this marks my two years of being abroad from, from Australia. Um, probably about four years ago, uh, in some of the travels throughout the world I was doing, I landed myself in New York City, and that was a very special place for me. And it was a different feeling to anything that I've had before in the places I've traveled to. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to live here. And two years ago, that became a reality. So I quit my job. And I bought a one-way flight and I walked away from my uh, career in Australia where I'd been working uh, full-time across a number of organisations. But what really captured my heart was uh, the housing sector. So that included public housing, community housing, and that's really what my passion was. Um, looking after the learning and development there, helping people to grow to better help and service our tenants that we had there that were in a really tough situation. So that was a very rewarding experience and I made a lot of great friends and was exposed to a lot of inspiring people there, which really gave me the courage to then make the jump. It was a very much close my eyes and hope for the best. Um, no job to go to, a handful of acquaintances in a city I knew nothing about. And the journey took us took path from there. So I did something then that I'd never really done before and that stepped away from the computer. So the job, that, the first job that I had in New York was working for Amnesty International and I was canvassing. So out on the streets every day, talking to 100, 100, about 150 people a week uh, about a Syrian refugee crisis. And it was a really great experience to just step back from a screen and have that human interaction. and in the streets of New York. It was it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> let's, just, let's just 
talk about that for a second. And there's probably a whole episode in, in talking about the story around your move, but it interests me for a couple of reasons. I mean, tell me a bit more about the motivation of why you packed up everything, you sold everything, you got on a plane, one-way ticket, no job, no nothing. <laughs> um, you know, granted, you fell in love with New York and you wanted to go back there. But what else was going on for you that drove that decision to take such a, a leap and, and, a, and a risk, right? Like, what, what was the drivers there? The drivers, great question, Ben. And the drivers and the real motivation there was that I had a very comfortable life in Sydney, Australia. And I was very supported. I had a really great work environment and everything was going great. And I had this moment one day where I sat back and realized I could see exactly where my life would be two years, five years, seven years from now. And that was very clear to me, the path that I was on. And that was rewarding in a lot of ways. Um, I wanted to really challenge myself and see what I was like in an environment that wasn't so comfortable and see what kind of person really, what I've really got when all the support and familiarity is taken away, um, to be exposed to new ideas. And for me, New York showed a melting pot of all different kinds of people, culture, everyone's got their own story and their, their own battle that they're fighting. Um, it's the heart of innovation for me and just a really great place to learn. And I was right in that assumption that I was presented with ideas and people's experiences, sharing them sharing their stories that I never would have conceptualized and people that I would never have met had I stayed in my comfort zone. And really, if I looked back at my life, uh, one of the re reflective questions I like to do is at a certain point in my life, so say 50, 70, 80, um, what will I wish I did more of and what will I wish I did less of? And one of those things is explore the world meet different people and talk to different people. And that's, that's the pursuit. <laughs> and, and so tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, because you're working in this role that gives you, affords you the opportunity to do exactly that, right? And you can work from anywhere and, and it's enabled you to travel around while you're working. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yes. So now I'm very fortunate to work for a company called Potential Project. And they train mindfulness for corporate performance. And it's a really interesting uh, organization to be a part of as they have a great number of clients that are really the big players in the market. And it is inspiring to see that these organizations that you see so much in the media about as making decisions that are negative for um, negative for society in a lot of ways are now changing their route to focus on looking after their people within their organizations and what the impact of that will be on the decisions that they make day to day and how that will then flow through. So I run their operations. Um, we are a global and virtual organization, which is affords me the opportunities to be coming to you from my lounge room here in Denver um, and to really just plug and play wherever I have Wi-Fi. Um, it's a completely different environment and has been a learning curve and an opportunity to apply great experiments. Man, there's, there's so many nuggets in there already of potential future show ideas. <laughs> like, you know, there's a whole conversation around um, 
leading in the virtual world and how work mm. is changing and, and what that means in terms of the capabilities of people leaders and, and you know, you working in that context will have some great insights because I think more and more, you know, we spend, regardless of, of what kind of organisation we're working in, so much time on teleconferences, on webinars, on, and, and often working with people who are so geographically dispersed and that creates a whole bunch of challenges. But then there's the whole topic of mindfulness as well, which I'm really fascinated about and I've, I've you know, I'm just actually I've had probably about 17 failed attempts over the last five years to, 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 to try and get into a regular mindfulness practice. It's not working for me, but um, I know that through your work with Potential Project, you know, you've also developed your own practice. Um, so it's a good conversation there around this whole concept of mindfulness. Yeah. And, and I think mindfulness, you know, certainly in my attempts to practice is, you know, more about not mindfulness, but mind emptiness. Like it's almost about how do you empty your mind? Um, and I tell you what, for someone like me, that's um, that's really challenging. So I think there's some really cool stuff just from your personal stories and experiences over the last couple of years that uh, that I really want to dig a little bit deeper into, look under the hood and unpack because I think um, you know there's some real interesting learnings there, and certainly stuff we've we've chatted about um, yeah. as well. So um, yeah. It's really interesting that you, that you share that you've tried a number of times without success yet to build a daily practice. And that's, you'll find as a very similar, common experience for a lot of people trying to start their practice. Um, but maybe so we can unpack where you're coming from in that. Um, would you like to share a little bit about what your day to day is like and what has brought you to Copenhagen in Denmark? Yeah, God, well, if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd be sitting in a hotel room in Copenhagen recording a podcast with you in Denver, I would have said you're crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so look, look, I guess I I grew up, um, you know, in my, in my late teenage years, imagining this really glamorous life as a global hotelier, you know, I used to stay in hotels as a kid and sit by the pool and sip strawberry mocktails and think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so from very early on, I kind of embarked in this, uh, in this career to, uh, to become a hotelier and to work in the, in the hotel industry. And, you know, I went off and studied that. And, and for the last 10 years, I've been lucky enough to, um, to, to do that. And I guess I started off with this passion around trying to understand how do you make great places to stay? Um, and what is it that contributes to that? Um, and, you know, for six or seven years, I worked across, you know, eight or nine different um, hotels in different cities around Australia and different um, types of properties. And, and I kind of had this epiphany or this realisation probably about four years ago that I was asking the wrong question. The question was not how do we create great places to stay? Well, in fact, that is a good question. But I realised the question I had to ask fundamentally first was how do you create great places to work? Because ultimately, in the world of hospitality and hotels, it all comes down to the experience that we stage for our customers, our guests, and ultimately that comes down to the people that stage those experiences. And you know, I remember reading something back in I don't know 2010. Um, uh, there was a whole bunch of research about global workplace engagement, which showed that only 13% of the world's working population were actively engaged in the work. In wow. The in other words, there are 87% of the world's working population who get up to get up in the morning every day and go to a job that they don't really like. And can you, can you imagine doing that? <laughs> when you think that the average human spends about 90,000 hours at work, in fact, you know, the only activity they do more, they spend more time on is sleeping. Um, you've got a big problem there, right? Like that's yeah. a scary statistic. Um, and that kind of motivated me to, 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 to step out of um, running hotels for a while and move into the people and culture space. And I took the leap to, 
to um, move to our uh, corporate headquarters and take on the role of learning and organizational development manager, thinking about how could I achieve that ultimate mission of creating great places to stay by focusing on how do you create great places to work um, and how do you instill people with a sense of, um, of, of purpose and meaning in the work that they do that enables them to, to, to do cool things. And so for the last, uh, uh, I guess, four years, I've been working predominantly in, in that space um, and learning heaps. You know, I was pretty naive when I first entered the space. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing other than there was this big weight on my shoulders to try and solve <laughs> this problem, trying to turn that. And I remember turning up to work thinking, okay, 87% of the world's working population are disengaged. I want to walk away from, from doing this job for a few years with 87% of our people in our organisation being actively engaged. So I wanted to reverse that statistic. Flip that statistic uh, there. Yeah. And, um, but I had no freaking clue how, how, how to do that actually. no idea so so at the same time I embarked in this massive kind of learning process on my for myself in terms of well how do I do that and I read a lot of stuff and I spoke to other people and I went to a lot of conferences and I and I just was a sponge for the first you know 12 to 18 months and, and tried to learn everything I could about what makes great organizations and what drives um, engagement um, at work and it doesn't matter who you ask what text you read what research you look at fundamentally there's one single answer to that question what makes uh, what drives people's engagement and happiness at work well the single uh, largest factor is the l word right leadership um, there's the single one biggest factor that drives people happiness at work is their direct relationship with their manager uh, or their or their boss right so yeah. from there i embarked on getting really um focused on developing great leaders um, and that started with a bit of an introspective process of, of you know looking at myself as a leader and uh, and really starting to develop my own kind of um, you know as I've been leading for a long time I'd never really thought about it um, but starting to to think about what is my leadership style and being really really conscious of, of that and and the behaviors and actions of, of leaders you know um, interesting so when you had that introspective time did you find any surprises emerge through that process I mean it's a it's a big step in self-awareness to be able to to stop let go of the ego and realistically look at yourself and yeah. and have these honest reflections man there were some really uh, really tough uh tough <laughs> times when you start to look at your look at your behaviors look at the things that you've done and apply them to this kind of new standard i guess that you're, mm. that you're setting for yourself i think you know at, at the core of, of of great leadership i think is this is this idea of leaders being true to their values uh, and and you know everyone says you know great leaders walk the talk and and what i realized as a leader you know was that okay i could say i could walk the talk but i had no idea what the talk was that i was walking <laughs> And this has become the number one biggest question that I ask leaders that I coach and work with today is, you know, do you walk the talk? And they go, yeah, absolutely, I walk the talk. And then I say, okay, well, what's the talk that you're walking? And I normally am faced with these blank looks. <laughs> look Never really thought about that. So I, I sort of set out to answer that question of what's the talk that I'm walking by trying to kind of identify what are the, the values that, that are most important to me. Um, and I went through this process of trying to um, identify the values that would then drive my behavior as a, as a leader. But I had to look at it beyond work, right? It was actually, what's at the core of me um, as a person? Yeah. Um, and I set out on this really interesting journey of trying to, just, to, to establish for myself what those values were. And you know, I went through a process of kind of, well, basically I had this deck of cards that was given to mm -hmm. by, by a mentor of me, each card had a different value on it. I had to go through and select from those cards. What the values yeah. that are most important to me? And I picked a bunch of them. I think I, I started with, 
eight. I had eight values. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember ringing my mentor at the time saying, right, I've, I've decided my values. I found them. Here's what they are. Um, and the advice I got back was, okay, great. Now you need to kind of go and reality check these values now. Um, so he asked some me sound to, advice there. <laughs> yeah. So he asked me to go and speak to the people closest to me. So at the time, my partner, the team that I worked with and, and managed um, and my friends and colleagues and asked them to rate me on those values. Like how much do mm. I actually give these values? Um, and I tell you what, I got some really um, valuable but, but harsh kind of feedback. Um, one of those values, I'd, you know, one of the things that I still remember to this day is one of those values that I selected was kindness, right? And I thought, yeah, I'm kind. Um, and then I started to talk to people about this value of kindness. And they said, well, you know what, Ben, here's X, Y, Z example where maybe you weren't as kind as you could be. And here's how I've interpreted your behavior to be something other than kindness man wow that feedback wow holding up that mirror to see would when i think when your self-perception doesn't match reality that really hurts on something that you hold dear to your heart and want to live up to but But it's it's necessary sometimes so necessary so necessary so then i had this decision right i was had to be like okay so i've selected this value of kindness people are telling me i'm not living that consistently so i kind of have two choices one is I can just cross that one out. That, that won't be a value of mine. Or I can say, well, actually, no, this is really important to me. So then I have to focus on how do I change my behavior to align with those values. Uh, the crossing out the value is the easy option, right? I decided, no, I want to do the hard option. I want yep. to be I want to be the kind person. Um, so I set out to, to keep that in there and, and try and adjust my behavior to align to those values because that value of kindness was actually really, really important to me. Anyway, that was a... That was a um, uh, a fascinating process and you know probably a conversation when we have more time to talk through how that process works and where it's at now and and you know I still have moments today where I where I reflect and go hmm, what I just did what I just said didn't really align with those values but at least now that I'm clear of what they are it it gives me that kind of um, uh, lighthouse in the distance to kind of steer towards um, and um, so it's been a real powerful thing for me to, to kind of establish anyway i'm rabbiting on now yeah i, I feel that this would be a, a great topic for a future show for us and i'd really love to explore um how, how we identify our values and then ensuring that our actions are aligned to our values um yeah. i think that'd be a really great future topic for us to go down the rabbit hole on and i mean you nailed that i think identifying the values so that's pretty easy right that's not going to be too hard but consistently living a values-aligned life, I tell you what, there's nothing harder. There is nothing harder. Every day you start fresh and every day it's what yeah. you choose to do. So yeah. it is a lifelong a lifelong pursuit to be the person you want to be. And I often wonder whether my failed attempts at mindfulness is, is this fear that I have around, um, around me having to really sit with this concept of, of how aligned am I. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think mindfulness, you know, from, from what I've read and now conversations really gets you thinking about that and, and uh, yeah, powerful stuff. Anyway, yes. so how, how did I end up in Denmark? <laughs> well, um, I, uh, I actually live in Berlin. I've been um, abroad uh, for about 12 months, uh, for about 12 months now. And, and similar to you, I think it was time for me to get outside my comfort zone. I'm just about to celebrate 10 years with my organisation. I'd spent, um, you know, many years in Australia and I had been three years in the same role um, uh, looking after learning and organisations. I'm bloody loving it. You know, I could have sat there and done that forever, but I really needed a bit of a change. On the personal front, I just, um, you know, I'd just been through a breakup of a seven and a half year relationship and it was time for me to, to 
um, do something a bit different. And, and uh, I think also there's always been this burning thing for me, you know, one of the reasons why I'd wanted to pursue this career in hotels was the opportunity it affords you to travel and live in different places and experience different cultures. And, you know, I basically left university and worked like a dog for 10 years in the same organization. It was pretty successful, but hadn't really ticked that one off my list yet. And I thought before I get too old, I wanted to do that. So <laughs> I, um, I moved over to, uh, to our European head office based in Berlin and, and now I roll as director of learning and operational excellence and I kind of combine, um, you know, the majority of my experience which is in running great hotels uh, with my, um, you know, the last four, four years where I've been consolidating my kind of um, uh, experience in the, in the people and culture space. So now it's kind of a 50-50 role where I'm, uh, I'm looking after both. At the moment I'm based in Copenhagen running a project of hotel refurbishment and doing some cool stuff. Um, and yeah, look, there could be worse places to be stuck. Copenhagen's a pretty cool city. <laughs> that it is. And so that was a pretty um, long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> I think that's how we, we do things. Yeah. <laughs> Go down the rabbit hole. Um, so we jumped to this point from exploring your, mind, your approach to mindfulness and where you're at now currently wanting to cultivate a practice um, and get that daily, daily dedication to taking a few minutes to yourself. And I think exploring, you've had a very honest reflection on this already, looking at maybe you're afraid of some of the things that you're going to find in this. Um, when I first started my practice, I first was introduced to meditation through the organisation I actually work for now. Um, we ran their corporate-based mindfulness program in Australia at the community housing provider I work, worked for. And as L&D manager there, um, I was looking after the great Australian country director that was delivering the program. And in theory, it all sounded fantastic. It was very interesting and exciting to me. And I, I really enjoyed the hour and a half sessions that we'd have each week. And then it would come time to practice, sit down to do my daily 10 minutes. And that's where things would get a little uncomfortable for me. And it was very, I found myself in a very interesting position because as L&D manager, um, it is my role to prepare the culture within the organization and lay the foundation for this to be embedded in something sustainable that we provide, that we create in our culture for the employees, that we are a mindful organization. However, I had my own personal struggles with it. When I would sit down to practice, I would physically react and start to be uncomfortable, start to feel all the pulses through my body and just feel like I want to get up and run around. And I could not sit through a minute. And this was a great conflict for me because I was going to be leading these, like organizing these 10 minute sessions every day and I'm freaking out about it. And it was, I really had that, I was just too g'd up and my mind was racing around that I couldn't sit still and do it. Um, and it really took quite a number of times for me to come back um, and to really focus on the why I wanted to do this. And when I started to connect with that, and again, experiment is the key word here, take off the pressure. So I had this kind of vision of, I should be able to sit comfortably, not things not hurt, and I sit out and bliss there for 10 minutes and it's all calm in my mind and then I walk away feeling amazing. And that's what I thought meditation should be and my practice should be. Let's just unpack this whole concept of mindfulness a little bit, go back to the beginning. So, I mean, anybody who's reading anything about it, anything right now is, 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 <laughs> yeah. is hearing that it's it's all about mindfulness and this thing has kind of over the last five years just exploded and I think people maybe have different um, kind of 
definitions of what the term mindfulness means. You know, some people think, okay, meditation, Buddhism, it's a religious thing, it's a spiritual thing. Um, what does actually mindfulness mean to you? Like, if you ask to actually define it, like, what is it? In my definition, mindfulness is being present with your breath and being present in that moment, wherever you are, and that being enough. That's my pithy, pithy answer. Um, it's you do read a lot of different things at the moment. Mindfulness is definitely the buzzword at the moment. Um, but the actual practice of mindfulness doesn't need to have any spiritual greater overtones or connected to anything other than this is about you experimenting with quietening all the thoughts that come through your mind and not fusing with your thoughts. So you let them go acknowledge that not every thought that you have is true. Um, some of them just arise and working through not fusing with those and seeing them pass through and really being with your breath and being present. And that allows you to connect with really connect with yourself and to strip away all the, I should do this, or I think I want that. It's just you stop, breathe. And that is enough. And what that creates is that really just does give you that one second. It creates that one second where you choose to respond rather than react. And it makes you aware of your, the results I've found is it makes you aware of how you're turning up and how you're engaging. Yeah. So, so we've talked a little bit about a daily practice. And I think, you know, a lot of people for mindfulness, it is about a daily practice. It's about spending that time meditating once a day or twice a day in the morning or the evening. But there's also this talk of, well, how do we actually act and behave in a, mining, in, in, a, in a mindful way? And how do we carry that through in our daily actions? You know, and now you're, you're seeing all these buzzwords like mindful meetings and mindful yeah. leadership and mindful eating and mindful everything. <laughs> mindful, tag mindful, mindfulness on it and it's a bestseller at the moment. Um, yeah. And I guess for me, uh, I, I don't know, I... And I think probably a lot of people share this is, you know, we live in this, this super busy, hyper-connected world where there's so much to do, so much to get done, that just the idea of taking 30 minutes to sit and do nothing seems like a really unproductive use of one's time. <laughs> um, and whilst intellectually I understand that not to be true based on everything you read about mindfulness, it's still the thing where you think, you know, there must be so many people like me that go, I just don't have time to be mindful. I'm just too mm. busy. Like what would mm. you say to, what would you say to those people? To create time, you need to invest time and that um, the benefits that you will see in your day-to-day -day life um, in the terms of clarity, focus and precision that you can bring to what you have to do each day, that 30 minutes that you invest, or that's, that would be once you've kind of deepened your practice. You can do this for 10 minutes a day, and that is enough practice to start to really see the benefits. Um, I would say that by investing the time, you create time. And the, reason, the primary reason I see for that is a lot of the practice in mindfulness is bringing your attention back to the breath. And what that does is when you are, notice yourself getting distracted, you don't get frustrated that you've been distracted. You get happy that you noticed and bring your attention back to the breath. Now you apply that when you're sitting down to work. So you've got to write, um, you've got to prepare the, 
the upcoming budget or report that you're working on and you sit down and you've got an hour to do this and you know you start working the first five minutes great and then your phone goes off and you're like oh what's that over there and you engage with that distraction and then it takes you um, it takes you some time to bring your focus back to what you were doing and continue in your task and what mindfulness does is trains you, change your mind to be aware of the distractions and you can then choose to engage with them or not engage with them. So perhaps if that phone call was um, your CEO calling about something really important, you decide that, yes, that takes precedent over what I'm doing now and I will engage with that distraction. Say it's me messaging you about some amazing restaurant that we need to eat at. Um, that can wait. And that's not a great use of your time to be engaged in that destruction when you're trying to do what you've set out to do. Mm. So and by practicing, yeah. Carrying that mindfulness principle through to, uh, you know, a real tangible way to use that uh, yeah. to be more effective and more productive. Yeah. And it happens innately. Like if you're, if you're practicing regularly, it's not like you're like, Ooh, a distraction's here. I'm going to decide you, your mind is trained to be focused and be present with where you're at. Okay. So let's talk about your experience with mindfulness because you've got a regular practice now that you've been working on over a period of time. How long would you say you've been practicing regularly for? Regularly for about a year and a half now. About a year and a half. And, and how, did that, how did that start and, and, and um, how did you get to the point now where it's a, it is a, a regular part of every day for you? Um, what was that journey like from doing what I'm doing now, which is trying and trying and failing and failing and getting frustrated with myself to the point now where you're actually, um, you know, you've got that embedded, so to speak. I've tried many different routes um, unfruitfully. And the kicker that made a difference was having a group of people um, to support to do this. And when I mentioned before that many people have shared your experience it is really true. You, you often hear, I tried to start this by myself and I couldn't, I can't get traction. I can't get motivated to do it. And what really started to put me down the right path was the organization I work for. Um, it was a regular opportunity to practice. So you mentioned the buzzwords of mindful meetings. Yes, we have them. Every meeting starts with um, a few minutes of silence and either someone else, someone in that meeting, we'll lead it. It can be anyone. Um, and we settle and set our intention and clarify. Um, really come to be present in the time we have there. We also, there was also like um, a foundational mindfulness training that was offered through a teacher called Glenn Svensson and his materials are available at his website, um, glennsvensson.com. He's an Australian, um, Australian, Buddhist teacher that decided he liked the sunshine and never wanted to be cold again and now travels the world imparting the knowledge that he has studied over many, many years now. And so I was, listening to my, um, I was listening to my meditation app and it told me, you know, that um, meditation is a skill and like other yeah. things you need to learn it, right? So yes. how important do you think it is for someone to go to some kind of formal mindfulness training or do a course do you think that's important or could you just jump on one of the seven billion apps on the market and just follow through on a guided meditation how important do you think it is that you actually commit to some kind of learning about about the process first i think the first step is 
to have a go and what you've done with the app is a great place to start um i think when it starts to get deeper that's when you want to look for a teacher and i think having guidance um is always a great move to make sure that you're okay because as you explore mindfulness meditation further some things will arise like the reflections that you're shown when you were going through your values that are going to be uncomfortable to deal with so having a teacher is always a great place um I've used some of the apps, so the Headspace app, which is what you've got now, and I found that fantastic. I really like having the animations to explain it, and I really like having, I really like the design of it. I like that I can see my progress day to day, and for me, visual, visually showing my progress is something that motivates me, so I find that really helpful. But I don't think you need to sign up to a great uh, a three-day retreat or um, the classes at at that are offered in a number of centers now, um, you can start with the app and see where that takes you from there. Um, I, would, I would highly suggest that you find some people to practice with, and that could be either a weekly, just a handful of people in your hotel that are interested in it, or some of your friends. Um, I sit online with some of one of my friends. Um, so we have online practices together and we have our bell that we're doing and we just jump on Zoom and sit and connect together. And so that- Find a friend to go on the journey with you is, is, is a, like anything, you don't want to lose weight yeah. until you want to eat today. Yeah. Find someone to go on that journey with you, hold each other accountable, I guess. Too. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people find it very easy to grasp the concept of you need to exercise to look after your body. In order for your body to feel great, you should do 30 minutes of movement. And then if you're really wanting to take that to the next level, then you will get a personal trainer. And that now in society is something that's very commonly accepted is to feel physically well, you need to move. Um, and that's what, what you do to look after your body. Um, that being said, if you go to the gym in the morning and then eat cookies all day, you're not kind of really aligning that and it's not consistent. Mm, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the same as mindfulness. If you do 10 minutes of mindfulness in the morning and go, I'm done, um, <laughs> tick that box, I've had enough. It's about really why tapping into why you want to do that. And for me, that's so that I am more peaceful within myself and that I can be of greater service to others around me, both in my personal life and in my professional life. So tell me a bit more about how that's happened for you. Like, what are the benefits? What's the return on investment you're seeing from the time you're investing in this uh, this regular practice? Like, what have you got out of it? Give me some tangible examples of how this has helped you be a better person, live a better life, add, yep. add more value, whatever. Um, that's a great question. And there was one moment where it really hit home what a difference it was making. And that was when I went back to Australia earlier this year. And I saw... I was catching up with one of my friends and it was the first time I'd seen her in a long time driving along and she was driving my car for the first time and we got into an accident and it wasn't, wasn't her fault, but my poor little car got, got splat and I felt the difference in my reaction of frustration rising and my ability to choose how I responded. And rather than going, Oh, I can't believe it. You've crashed my car. You weren't watching where you're going. This is terrible. I was able to, see that rise and then to objectively see the situation that it wasn't her fault. She had no control in it, was driving responsibly. She, and focus on really what was important is, is she okay? And it was that moment where I felt 
the ability to choose how to respond rather than to go with my emotional reaction that I was like, wow, this is, this is having some difference and yeah. this is what I like. Um, so that's, that's one from the personal life. Um, one, one from a professional life comes back to the example you gave of, I'm too busy. I've got, I don't have time to do this today. And I had a very tight time frame for a piece of work that had to be done in an hour and a half. And it was something that was a stretch for me in terms of my skills. Um, so I felt uncomfortable and wasn't really, it was, it was a struggle to get myself to a point to do it. So I selected the hour and a half I was going to do this and then allocated 10 minutes to practice at the start of it. And that allowed me to be focused and get through that piece of work, removing all of my own attachments to it. Like it was, you know, I have a story that I don't like finance and I'm not good with numbers. So you let go of all of that as you go through the process and can just look, sit down, look at something objectively and try your best at it without all the other voices going through your, through your mind and without wandering off to do other things. Mm. And I feel that level of focus, um, and being able to objectively see things without fusing with the emotional elements of it is really benefits that I've gotten from mindfulness. And tell me, just to wrap up this conversation about mindfulness, we need to dig deeper in another conversation. Mm -hmm. but do you do you notice now those times when perhaps you skipped your practice, um, and and you notice when uh, I, I I could see the negative impact of not doing this? Yeah. That's yeah. Something? yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, for me. A daily practice now is as essential as drinking water for me. And that's because I can feel within myself the difference when I don't. If there's a day or two that I miss, I will notice my reactions throughout the day. Um, being a, a shorter fuse, we'll get frustrated by things that normally wouldn't frustrate me. Um, and I find it harder to be who I want to be. And by practicing every day, that gives me the... Makes me feel centered and calm. Yeah, right. Centered and calm. Oh, how I'd <laughs> love to feel that more often. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the one of the major points is uh, out of mindfulness is seeing the value in doing nothing. And for you, when you look at someone that's goal orientated um, and very driven, that concept of I'm doing nothing is like, well, what do you mean? I'm wasting my time. Like, this is not helping me achieve my goals. Um, but you do your best work when you're in a good place within yourself. That's where the creativity flows. Your mind lights up and does amazing things um, when you're in a good place. So let's just wrap this up in 140 characters or less. You know, if there was one message you'd give to somebody who maybe is starting to explore mindfulness, is maybe experiencing what I'm experiencing and finding it hard work and not seeing the benefits What's the, what's the message you want to leave them with? Take the expectations off. Be proud of yourself for trying. Nice. <laughs> we, should, we definitely should tweet that. Yes. Yes, we that should. Was, that was not prepared at all. That was, just <laughs> that was freestyle. And, and I think that goes with our experiment um, theme of, of what we're doing here. And, you know, you're giving this a try. Mm. Let go of the expectations of what you think it should be when you're sitting down to do this. And... It is something you've, you know, you've, you've been doing and that's a great thing. Celebrate that. Absolutely. Over time, 
things will come together. Absolutely. Hey, Mel, we don't want to just have to kind of come up with things to talk about every week. We'd like to uh, hear from other people and they can connect with us uh, a, a couple of different ways if they want to start a conversation, comment on something we've spoken about, share something cool that they've learned that maybe is associated with what we're talking about or maybe something completely different. There's a few ways that people can engage with us, right? The first yep. is they can visit the livinglabpodcast.com. We have a website. That's pretty cool. That is. Uh, and uh, on there, you can click contact us and send us a message and let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about or maybe some suggestions of things we can talk about on future episodes. You can send us an email. That's livinglabpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I think also people will be able to very soon find us on Facebook as well, the Living Lab Podcast on Facebook, um, and uh, can connect with us and, uh, and contribute to the conversation. Because I think it'd get a bit boring if it's just the sound of our voices all the time. Right? No, we'd love to have some guests on. We'd love to find out what's what's on other people's minds and have some suggested experiments from them. Bring on the book recommendations. Bring on, you should listen to this. Anything that goes through your mind, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, a couple of quick questions to finish off for you, Mel. Like these are just quick fire first thing that comes to your mind. What's the one one thing you've learned this week? Um, <laughs> be happy where you are. I clearly haven't prepped this at all. We've not discussed this at all. We're freestyling now. We, we are freestyling. Uh, what's the one thing you want to do better or differently next week? Uh, one thing I want to do better next week is get out there and get back into running, is get the physical movement matching the mental movement. And one final question that I love, and you know, someone who I worked with for many years asked me this question. Um, in a professional context, but it works in any context. And that is, what is it that you're experimenting with right now? Um, I'm experimenting with reading for pleasure, to be honest. A lot of the times that I spend is reading for educational and learning purposes. Um, so reading some great books at the moment, like Originals by Adam Grant. Um, so at the moment, just purely what's it like to pick up a book, no other intent other than to go down this story rabbit hole. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, so now I'm going to flip these questions back on you because oh, this is how we do when, when we freestyle things. <laughs> uh, so our first question that was, what have you learned this week? Man, well, practical things like I've learned how to use this Zoom thing that we're recording this podcast on. That's one thing. Does that count? <laughs> yes, that counts. That's a new technology, <laughs> new skill, new thing you've learned. Uh, what am I going to get good to get better at or do differently next week? I reckon based on our conversation today, I'm going to be more persistent when it comes to this mindfulness practice on a daily basis and stop coming up with excuses of why I can't invest the time in doing it. Um, and uh, you can hold me to account when we talk next time, Mel, because um, that's definitely something that I want to commit to doing. Great. I'll be, I'll be raising that when we check in on our experiments next week. <laughs> yeah. And what am I experimenting with? Um, I'm experimenting. We're experimenting with recording a podcast and sharing our ramblings with, uh, <laughs> with the world. And it's quite a nerve-wracking thing to, to think that we're going to post this out for public consumption soon. But anyway, we'll give that a crack. So I'm experimenting. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm experimenting with um with that at the moment as well. So yeah, yeah. look, I'll come up with something a bit more piffy for next week's. <laughs> <laughs> <Final questions. laughs> One of the practical things, but um, 
not, nonetheless, um, you know, that's kind of what I'm fo focusing on now. Step well, we made, step. It, we made it, Mel, the end of our, um, of our first episode of the Living Lab podcast. Again, you can connect with us at thelivinglabpodcast.com or email us at livinglabpodcast at gmail.com. I'll leave you with this one final thought, Mel. I think if you look at human life, it's like an experiment. Every new moment, every new experience, tragic or otherwise, is an opportunity to gain a more accurate perspective and helps lead us all to more clarity. I think that's a nice way to finish our first episode. Beautiful way to end it, Ben. And it was wonderful time spent together. I will see you next week and we can do this all again. Can't wait. Bye, listeners.